This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. I've been in here for, I can tell you exactly, 11,945 days, okay? 11,945 days I've been in here. And um, it hasn't been easy. A hundred years? That's man, I'm a kid. I didn't do anything. You know, and, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was real painful, man. You know, because my life was discarded as if, you know, like I was a piece of trash or something. You know, a hundred years, and I had dreams, and I wanted to do things. I wasn't committing crimes, you know. I was a very good young man. That is what happens in so many cases. The cops have a hunch because they're so smart at the scene. They have a hunch. And once they act on that hunch, they sort of develop tunnel vision and they take off marching in the wrong direction. And that happens in so many of these wrongful convictions. They opened the, the, uh, the cell door and I walked downstairs and I actually walked downstairs to, to be outside. It felt very strange um, to be, like I said, to be walking without no shackles on my feet. I thought it was a dream, but then again, it wasn't a dream. This is wrongful conviction. The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. That's me. I'm your host. And today we have a very special and unusual episode featuring uh, the one and only John Grisham. John, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. So, John, I want to talk to you about this incredible 
TV series I just watched on Netflix, The Innocent Man, which is based on the book by the same name that you wrote several years ago. And it, uh, for anyone who hasn't watched it, I highly recommend it because it just rocked my world. Um, how did you get involved in this case in the first place, the case of Ron Williamson and Dennis Fritz? Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Look forward to it. And uh, we've served together on the board of the Innocence Project for probably 10 years now, right? Yeah, quite a while. Go way back. Um, I'm on that board because I wrote this book. And I wrote this book because I um, uh, saw an obituary in the New York Times in December of 2004 uh, for a guy named Ron Williamson, who had just died, obviously, in Oklahoma. And uh, he was my age, my same background, everything. And he had come within five days of being executed. Five days. In Oklahoma for a crime, for murder he did not commit. And the obituary was uh, fascinating. I mean, I, I love New York Times obituaries because they. Um, well, they don't write about boring people. <laughs> they right? really do. Well, and they write about people, these fantastic stories of people I've, you've never heard of. And uh, so I, I always check out the Times obituaries, but uh, normally they're you know, people in New York. But uh, Ron's story was, uh, it just captured my imagination. And, and by, by the time the day was over, I had talked to both of his sisters, uh, one in Tulsa, one in Dallas. And I said, hey, I'm going I'm to write this book. And they said, um, well, whatever. And one thing led to another. I took off to Oklahoma to start digging, and I had no idea what I was doing. I'd, I'm not a journalist. I'm not trained in you know that type of work, and I had no idea how to go about telling that a real story. And this is your only nonfiction book, and it's interesting because there's that classic adage that truth is stranger than fiction. And I think you spent your life as probably the most you know uh, prolific. Uh, crime novelist, maybe ever, right? And um, and, and coming up with these stories, yeah, right? It, yeah. it's, it's what you do, dreaming these stories up, literally. But then then you bump into this one, and it's beyond anything that you probably could have dreamed up, right? I mean, it's interesting. On the trailer for the Netflix show, I heard you say, if you wrote this, nobody would believe it, right? That's true with a lot of these innocent stories, as I have come to know over the past dozen years. Uh, the facts are so incredible that, first of all, I couldn't dream these things up. I couldn't create these these uh, these cases uh, because n- nobody can. They're so remarkably uh, uh, unbelievable. Uh, and, and if you did, if you tried to pass this off as a, in a novel, uh, it's not going to work. A, no- a novel has to be plausible. The story can be can be fiction, or what you know. It's it's it can be science fiction. It can be you know real you know all kinds of different uh, genres of fiction. But it has to be there has to be a level of plausibility in, in the story to make it work. Um, some of the cases we deal with uh, in in the innocence uh, world are hard to believe, impossible to believe almost, some of the factual scenarios. In, in the case in Oklahoma, the, the Ron Williamson case, um, the murder itself was easy to believe because it was a horrible crime, and those happen all the time. But what happened after that and how he was railroaded and convicted in Ada uh, is just a really remarkable story. And once, once I started digging, I couldn't stop. It is a remarkable story in, in, so, uh, in so many ways and on so many different levels. The victim in this case, Debbie Sue Carter, um, is uh, it's a tragic, tra- all these cases are tragic, but in hers, especially as a father, um, it's just such a horrific 
circumstance, which speaks to what we're talking about right now, because in her case, Debbie Sue Carter was raped and murdered and tortured. Her killer made sure that she suffered agonizing, uh, an agonizing death. And what what that speaks to is the injustice that's done to everyone, her family, her memory, and everyone else when, when the wrong person is convicted. But also, what boggles my mind, John, is that in a community, especially a small community like Ada, you would think that even if a an authority figure, a police, a, a police detective or whatever they had, an investigator, was so sort of morally bankrupt that they didn't mind, they didn't lose a, a wink of sleep uh, convicting an innocent guy. By definition, they were allowing this sick, twisted, psychotic individual who did these terrible, terrible things to Debbie Sue Carter to remain free. Yeah, and they knew him. They knew him. He was a local boy. He grew up there. He went to high school with Debbie. That's how he got in her apartment. He uh, he was... <laughs> Uh, he was the last person seen alive with her when she was alive in a honky-tonk late at night uh, as she was leaving. He was at her car. They were arguing, and she sort of shoved him away and got in the car, and she drove off. And there were witnesses to that, and the police knew it. And a few hours later, he um, knocked on her apartment, and she let him in because she knew him. She didn't – I don't think she liked him or wanted to be with him, but because they were acquainted going to school together, she, he had the entree, the ability to get into her apartment. And uh, once he did, uh, you know, it was a bad night. Uh, but, and, and again, the police did not, did not pursue him, the obvious person, uh, for, oh, years, years and years. The, the, the murder was unsolved. The cops uh, were thoroughly incompetent, and at the crime scene, the crime scene was horrendous because it was a, uh, a terrible killing. And he, and he hung around, and he and he wrote messages with her blood on the wall, and he, he wrote messages on the kitchen table with a bottle of ketchup, and and there was just a horrible thing. He stayed there for a long time trying to devise a way to deflect or point the blame at somebody else. And anyway, he, he was there for a long time. So it was a, a horrific scene. And these two uh, Keystone cops who are on the scene decide, because it's so violent and it's so bloody, it had to be the work of two people. Okay, that, that was that decision. Hey, it's got to be two people. We, we had two defendants here. And that that is what happens in so many cases. The cops have a hunch because they're so smart at the scene they have a hunch. And then once they act on that hunch, they sort of develop tunnel vision and they take off marching in the wrong direction. And that happens in so many of these wrongful convictions. Yeah. In this case, it's fair to say that this, this case actually came with instructions, uh, which were ignored yeah. and they didn't go after the actual killer. I'm forgetting his name. Um, Glenn Gore. Glenn Gore. Right. What a name. Right. Yeah, he's Glenn on, Gore. How he's, is, like, he's serving a life with no parole in Oklahoma, convicted by the jury in Ada many years too late. Right. I mean, talk about, I mean, what an ironic thing that the guy's name would be Glenn Gore. Yeah. Like I said, more instructions as if they were coming from and the And he universe. was a local criminal. He had a record. He was a bad dude. The cops were doing for drugs. He was a rough family. I mean, he was well known to the police and they still didn't. 
pursue him. They didn't prosecute him until they actually had to, right? It became, you know, it became uh, uh, impossible for them to continue to deflect the blame from him. Uh, They sort of, uh, and I've seen this in other cases, they sort of protected him, right? Which is, you know, really hard to process um, as to, you know, I mean, I grew up like most people, you know, um, respecting the uniform and, um, you know, really, I think we all played cops like when we were kids sure. and, you know, and I, and I still do. I mean, I still, I'm a person who believes in law and order and I, uh, you know, I have a, a, a lot of respect for most of the people in the criminal justice system. But when you get bad actors like these guys, the damage that they can inflict is yeah. enormous. I don't know how bad they were. I, I, it's obvious how incompetent they were. Uh, I, you know, there, there was some allegations that these guys some of the some of the some of the cops there were later convicted for of selling drugs and there was some evidence that gore was selling drugs and gore was selling drugs with the cops and you know there was never really a clear uh path to prove that he was with the, the, the cops obviously knew him some of the cops were shady uh but still just the sheer incompetence of not investigating the, the two lead cops in the case uh, I don't think had any history with drug dealing or whatever. They were pretty, you know, just a couple of stand-up guys uh, doing their best. Uh, but the incompetence of just of not even considering uh, the last person seen with the victim. Yeah, who became a witness against uh, uh, Ron? I guess right. Yeah, he was. Uh, he he was uh, cleverly, I guess you could say, deflected the blame, as we see. Not infrequently in these cases where the actual perpetrator uh, becomes a witness for the prosecution because it's probably the simplest way to, uh, you know, put, turn the sure. attention away from you and onto somebody else is make yourself into a witness. And that's exactly what he did. And he got away with it for quite a while. Um, so in this case, you, you know, you talked about how you were so taken with the story of Ron Williamson. It is a fascinating and and sort of terrible story in that this was a, a young man who had once had so much promise, right? He right. was a he was a professional baseball player uh, drafted by the Oakland A's yeah. and, you know, seemed to have his whole life laid out in front of him until he was injured, never made it to the big leagues. And what a strange thing to think about the cruel sort of capricious or, or, or arbitrary nature of of this whole thing that he went from a, a major league uh, prospect to being on death row. And as you said, coming within five days of being executed for a crime that everyone should have known he didn't commit. Right. And, he, and of course he lost his mind um, in prison and, and died tragically soon after he was released. And, and there was another uh, innocent uh, man, uh, uh, Dennis Fritz. Yeah. D- Dennis's crime was that he was hanging around with Ron and uh, Ron, Ron became when Ron was growing up, by the time Ron was in high school, in this section of, of southeastern Oklahoma, a lot of uh, coaches and scouts believed that he was the next Mickey Mantle. Mickey's from a small town in Oklahoma and, and uh, a little bit to the north of this, and Mickey was, of course, Mickey. Um, but Ron was uh, in the same mold, big, strong guy, great athlete, uh, solid legs, could hit. And he certainly he had a huge ego, small town guy, but he, you know, he, he was attracting attention from the scouts and uh, he had a great high school baseball coach. 
and they won all these games. And Ron was the man, and he was going to be the next Mickey Mantle. And he got drafted by the A's in 1972 in the first round. Uh, they paid him somewhere between fifty and a hundred thousand bucks for the bonus, which is not bad back then. He he it didn't la- it didn't last Ron very long. He went through it pretty fast. Lost most of it in a poker game, but he went off to the minor leagues because he was going to make plenty of money and. Um, you know, the injuries, and he at some point he begins showing um, signs of uh, some pretty uh, unstable mental issues and uh, undiagnosed, uh, later diagnosed as being bipolar and um, crashed and burned. And he never, he never got over the fact the baseball career was so important to him as a small kid in Oklahoma, small town boy in Oklahoma, that he, you know, he, he couldn't accept the fact that he was not going to, he was not going to be famous. He was not going to be playing in Yankee stadium. He was not going to be Mickey Mantle. And it just, it crashed, it crashed on him. And he just, he went back to Ada and acted more and more, uh, more and more bizarre, different way. He became kind of the town, not town drunk, but kind of the town misfit, uh, unemployed, drinking too much, partying too much, fighting too much, uh, and he was up and down. He, he, they they tried to get him some help with the local mental health people. They tried their best, uh, but it was not enough, and he was he was just spiraling down. And he became sort of it was he was easy to convict Ron because everybody knew him. He became the town weirdo, the town goofball, the town ne'er do well. That was kind of Ron Williamson and people. Um, for 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 a, bu- for a few bucks, he would cut your grass with an old beat up lawnmower with his shirt off. He'd push his mower up and down the street, trying to get a you know a few jobs here and there. That kind of life. Lived uh, almost homeless in uh, somebody's shed in the backyard, and it was a hard fall for him, and it it, it really affected him mentally. And then and then he lived fairly close to where Debbie Sue Carter was murdered, and the cops early on, and the cops and the prosecutor felt for a long time like Ron was the killer. They just believed. They just, again, tunnel vision. They had a hunch he was their man, and they had no proof, And but that didn't stop them. They just uh, kind of manufactured a case against him. Right. There was no physical evidence uh, connecting them to the crime, obviously, because they weren't there. You know, so. Well, there, there was physical evidence in that uh, <laughs> this part of, part of what went wrong in the prosecution. There were uh, 17, I think, 17 scalp and pubic hairs taken from the, the victim's bed crime scene. And at trial, this, you know, uh, certified uh, uh, analyst with the Oklahoma Crime Lab testified um, that the, that the um, scalp and pubic hair matched Ron Williamson and Dennis Fritz. So they had physical proof, junk science, okay? Uh, and 10 years later, all 17 hairs were excluded by DNA. There was no DNA available in 1987 when they went to trial. Uh, so there was a little bit of a little bit of physical proof. Uh, it was almost all uh, hearsay, jailhouse snitch, uh, bogus testimony by cops, a dream confession, just gar- garbage prosecution. And uh, the prosecutor was pushing hard. He got a jury, a local jury. They wouldn't change venue. Uh, and so he ramrodded you know, through a conviction. 
Yeah, junk science is an important part of this too. And, you know, it's interesting because I do want to talk about the death penalty and how this affected you and maybe your views on the death penalty. I don't know what they were uh, leading into this. I don't know what they are now, but I'm interested to hear. But um, the other thing is with this case, it's just so, um, it's so, it's so easy to put yourself in the shoes of the people on that jury, right? Who were, you know, from the town, right? Mm-hmm. As you said, there was no change of venue. There's a highly publicized case, a terrifying murder in a small community always will generate that kind of media yeah. attention and extra pressure on the police. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, you know, one of my goals in doing this show, well, my main goal in doing this show was to educate people, all of whom, everyone who's listening right now is a potential juror. So are you and I. Um, I don't know who would put me on a jury, but I never know. I, I would um, exclude you. As a, as a defense lawyer, I'd kick you off my jury. Exactly. So, a defense lawyer. <laughs> um, so, um, Not a prosecutor. Okay. Never. So, um, so, you know, my, my hope is that in doing this show and with the now almost 8 million listens that we've had over the course of the first seven seasons, that we have helped to educate people so that when they are called to serve on a jury in a criminal trial, and when they hold a Ron Williamson or Dennis Fritz's life in their hands, and that they will be better educated and more, um, maybe I want to say more attentive, but maybe a little bit more skeptical. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't want to prevent a, a rightful conviction from happening. Um, you know, there is the famous saying Ben Franklin said, right, it's better that a hundred guilty men go free than the one innocent man should suffer. Um Benjamin Franklin, kind of a great American. Um, and so I'm interested in your take on that, John. What would you say to anyone who's listening now as having lived through this uh, and, and researched it and done all this work on this case and, and all the other things that you've done throughout your career uh, looking into criminal justice matters, how would you advise jurors? If they're going next week into a trial, what would you tell them that could help them to make the best decision in the interest of justice? Well, I would urge anybody to ask themselves the basic question, what is the physical evidence? Where, 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 you know, so let's start with the proof. If it is something like um, hair analysis or bite mark analysis or boot print analysis or what, any one of 15 different analyses that have all been proven to be rather shaky. And, tire tracks, sock tire prints, tracks, yeah. That stuff is all, you know, when the FBI says that 95% of its crack uh, hair analysts got it wrong, 95% from the FBI, you can imagine what's happening out in the States. Uh, it's junk science. It's unreliable. So go back to the basic proof. And if a prosecution does not have hard, hard physical evidence, and in most cases they do, okay? Most of these cases are not that close. Uh, but, but as we know in this type of work, there are a lot of cases where the evidence is very flimsy. Number two, I would say if they show up with a jailhouse snitch who is going to testify that while he was in the cell with the defendant six months ago, he heard the defendant give a full confession, talked about the case, knew the facts, blah, blah, blah. Don't believe a word of what the snitch is saying because the snitch has cut a deal with the prosecutor or the police to get some time off. Snitches should not be allowed, period, okay? Um, you know, I, I would, if there's a false confession, if, there, if, if there's a confession, okay, 
uh, at least ask some basic questions. Did the defendant recant the following day as soon as he could get away from the cops? Did he recant? Has he recanted every day since then? And most importantly, does his confession, do the facts match up with the physical evidence? Because in almost every false confession, there's no match. You know, whatever the guy confessed to, he said to get out of the room with the cops, and, and they are notoriously unreliable. Uh, you and I serve on the Innocence Project board. We have 370 DNA exonerations in the past 25 years. 25% involve false confessions. False confessions are a huge problem. They happen all the time. And if you're a juror, say, okay, the guy confessed in police custody. Was a lawyer present? No, because if the lawyer's there, he wouldn't be confessing. So if the lawyer wasn't there, how long did the interrogation last? Was it 12 hours throughout the night? Uh, and when he did confess, what did he say about the facts of the case? Do they match up? It's pretty basic stuff, uh, but not all, not all jurors, you know, are, are I guess um, curious enough to ask those questions. Although I got to say, Jason, they are getting more and more skeptical because we are seeing fewer and fewer death verdicts, far fewer death verdicts, far fewer executions, far fewer people on death row because jurors are far more skeptical. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board This is Uncanny USA He says somebody's in the house and I screamed (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Become a part of the fast growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. 
With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I want to harp on one point that you made, which is that in that FBI, uh, in the investigation that was done into the FBI uh, forensic uh, analysts who testified in hair cases, specifically in in cases where hair was the uh, predominant factor leading to the conviction, um, they found, I think they examined almost 400 cases, and they found that, as you said, over 95% of them, the uh, FBI agents uh, or uh, experts were wrong. But in 100% of the cases in which they were wrong, they were wrong in favor of the prosecution. Yeah. So whether they were mistaken, it's hard to believe that they were mistaken in all those cases, right. because it just statistically doesn't add up that they would every single time make a mistake in favor of the prosecution. So I think, again, we have to really take a a hard uh, look at what's being presented in these contexts. Think about what people's motivations are when they're testifying. In the the case of the jailhouse snitches, it couldn't be clearer, right? And it's so interesting in 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 our criminal justice system, you know, everyone knows that you can't, bribe a witness, right? That's a crime. That's a felony. You you know, you can't bribe a witness. But the government has the ability to offer the best bribe that there is. I'm calling it a bribe. It's not called a bribe technically, right? It's a deal. A deal, yeah. Yeah. They can offer the deal that it's, you know, you can go get out of jail free card, right? Walk walk out today. Yep. So, uh, or reduce charges or whatever else they want to do. So, yeah, so that that is, I'm really glad you brought that up. Let's talk about the death penalty because support for the death penalty in America is at an all-time low. Um, and I think it's the first time that uh, more than half of Americans are opposed to the death penalty. Um, how have your views uh, – were you, were you anti-death penalty? Are you anti-death penalty? How have they evolved as a result of dealing yeah. with this case? Well, okay, the, the numbers are down, but there's still a significant number of people in, a, in the majority of states uh, who are who favor it. If you look at the death belt, 36, 38 states, uh, the people who – live there and vote there, the majority, and it, it's not, a, it's, you know, it's, it's 50-50, but in some places it's slightly more who are in favor, still favor the death penalty. Uh, so it's popular in a lot of areas, you know, where you live, it's probably not. Uh, other places, it's not. California is the biggest state. They have 600 people on death row, and but they don't, they've executed one person. They're not serious about it, but they still have death row, and it costs them a zillion bucks a year. Uh, yeah, grew, growing up in the deep south as a Southern Baptist, uh, you, you know that eye for an eye, that kind of stuff, and it was it was the Old Testament version of retribution, and we not only believe that we we really um, sort of advocated uh, the death penalty, and, and we no one back then, and I can ever remember, uh, was ever opposed to the death penalty, and there aren't many of them now. Uh, once I became a lawyer, though, and became into a lot of criminal defense cases. Uh, you know, slowly I realize that um, we have some pretty serious problems in the criminal justice system and and uh, some very serious problems with the death penalty, the way it is used. And um, 
I just, you know, 25 years ago, I said, this, even if you support the death penalty, you cannot support this death penalty. And the way it's used uh, against minorities, the way it's used, uh, different, different states use it differently for the same crimes. It's just, it's a mess, okay? And so uh, I'm very much opposed to it. The argument I make to people and I speak to people who are in favor of the death penalty is I ask them, what percentage of people, of innocent people, is it okay to execute? Um, uh, so they will say, well, no, no, you can't execute innocent people. And I go, but you do understand that the system is not, it's far from perfect, but it can never be perfect. Even if everybody in the system did the best job that they possibly could. And we know there are so many different causes. There's some of it's on the defense, right? We have defense lawyers who slept through capital cases. We have uh, defense lawyers who are underpaid. They may be alcoholics. We have cases of death, people sentenced to death where the death, the, 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 not too long after their verdict was rendered, their defense attorney was disbarred or even arrested or, you know, um, found to be, you know, incompetent is too kind of a word. So um, my question is, even if everybody did the best job that they could, we're still going to make mistakes. So my, my question for anyone who's listening who's still pro-death penalty would be, what, how many innocent people is it okay to execute out of 100 or whatever it is? Because if your answer is none, then you can't be in favor of the death penalty because right. we know we've executed innocent people. Um, Cameron Todd Willingham, there's so many other, Jesse DeFaro, there's so many that come to mind. And um, I, you know, I can't, uh, I, I don't want to live in a country that executes innocent people. And America is uh, it's so far behind the rest of the civilized world in this area. You know, we are among the, the top five nations in the number of executions. And, and it's, not a, it's not a good list to be on. The other nations are not nations you'd be proud to be associated with in that way. Western Europe has abolished it. I mean, in, in the rest of the civilized world, they've, uh, for some reason, they have a much more I think evolved. it's us in Pakistan and North Korea, uh, places like that. China. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not a good, it, it, it's, a, it's a bad distinction, and it's something that we can change and we must change. And, and you know, we're going to keep fighting until we do. Well, the, the good thing about it, Jason, the death penalty is dying. It's, uh, it's dying because, uh, not because of um, courageous uh, lawmakers, not because of courageous uh, judges, but because of courageous jurors. And uh, nowadays, the jurors, as for the same reason we, reasons we've been discussing, uh, because of so many high-profile exonerations where these bogus prosecutions were exposed, jurors today are far more skeptical uh, about the uh, abusive tactics used by police and prosecutors to, to get convictions. That's one factor. Another factor is that most states today are spending more money to um, train defense lawyers. The, the defense lawyer in capital cases is far better than it was just a few years ago. So, so the playing field is kind of level now. Uh, and and when you go to trial, and in most of your capital cases, the defendant is not only guilty but very guilty. The proof is there. And so it becomes a question of how do you save this person's life and what, what happens now because the, the defense lawyers are so much better, they are able to present to the jury uh, the whole picture of this defendant and where he came from and his background and the fact that he probably never had a chance in life. And, juror, and once that whole story is, is exposed in a courtroom, once the jurors hear the whole story, uh, we are seeing it weekly in this country. They're far more willing to go with life with no parole and spare the guy's life. 
They're, they're more sympathetic. Right. And then there's a chance to fix it. I, I just finished reading a remarkable book by Richard Jaffe, who I think is, uh, he's a hero of mine. Uh, he's, I think, one more successful, uh, he's, he's uh, won more death penalty reversals than any other, or appeals than any other lawyer that I know of. And uh, his book, uh, the subtitle is Defending the Damned. I'm trying to remember the first, uh, the, the actual title. It's a, it's a wonderful book. And it really speaks to what we're talking about. I mean, you see these cases where it, 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 it would be apparent to anyone, seemingly, that these people were innocent. Anthony Ray Hinton is a great example of that. Um, you know, and, and going back to even the innocent man case, right? I mean, or the innocent man show, because in the show, there were two different cases, right, right? right? It wasn't just Debbie Sue Carter. Right. 18 months later, uh, a young lady named Denise Haraway was um, abducted from a convenience store late at night where she worked in Ada and uh, vanished. And uh, there was no... There was no evidence. There was no – the crime scene was contaminated. The police did not secure the crime scene. And she, the, 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 the uh, cash register was open, and she was gone. And uh, some people had seen her leave with uh, a couple of sketchy guys in an old truck. Uh, but she they couldn't find the body. They couldn't find her. They, they searched and searched. They couldn't – and this went on for um, 18 months. And then um, – the police, uh, there were there were some composite police drawings that were pretty good, and uh, the people called in. They said that looks like Billy, looks like Joey, looks like Charlie, looks like Tommy, whoever. And so the cops are getting a lot of input from um, from the composite drawings, and they just sort of settled on <laughs> a guy named Tommy Ward, uh, who was a twenty year old kid with no record, um, and they called him in for. Uh, interrogation didn't tell him what didn't tell him why they wanted wanted to talk to him and so he uh goes to the police station without any clue that that would be his last day of freedom for the rest of his life and uh they uh began interrogating him and uh, things deteriorated quickly when he realized they were suspicious of him he had nothing to do with the crime he was not he was nowhere near the crime scene he never met the victim there's not one shred of physical evidence that links him to the crime now or 35 years ago uh, no evidence at all and uh, uh, the interrogation went on for a long time hours and hours nonstop and um, Tommy has said he he wanted to talk to a lawyer. Uh, that's not clear from the record. There is really no record because it was not recorded. There were cameras in the room, but they didn't record the bad stuff. And uh, Tommy finally snapped. He just snapped, which which is not unusual after eight or ten years of ab- hours of abusive uh, interrogation. And Tommy said, "Okay, finally, you know to." Pff, he said, I, you know, I, I'm going to give these guys a story, and it's going to be so outrageous that once they investigate it, they'll realize I'm lying, okay? So he just fed them a big story about um, grabbing the girl, taking her out, uh, raping her, cutting her throat, burning her body, disposing it over here. And uh, while he was actually doing this, the the cops said, well, where, where did you dispose of her body? He said, well, I threw it down the ditch. So they, they had a, cops in Ada would run to that location, 
and couldn't find the body. So they called back to the police station and said, we can't find the body. So the cops say, Tom, we, we, the body's not there. Where's the body? And they say, oh, you'd make up some other. Well, the body's over in the warehouse, you know, whatever. So the cops would go over there. Well, it wasn't there. Well, the cops, it's, it's in the bottom of a silo. They'd go, this goes on all night long. These, these stupid cops are running around Ada trying to find the body because Tommy's making stuff up, okay? Tommy's just making stuff up because he's, cra- he's half crazed, okay? And uh, finally... They said, okay, enough of that. Let's have the confession. And after about, I don't know, 15 hours, they turned the machine on and they recorded Tommy. And you see this in the Netflix uh, uh, episode where he's sitting there, punch drunk, out of his mind, and he can't get the facts straight. The cops have fed him the facts and he keeps making mistakes. And so the cops correct him on, on tape. You see this. In the show. I saw it. And it's, uh, I mean, that, that's been reviewed by some experts who, experts in false confessions who just shake their head at, at how bad the false confession is. I mean, as far as false confessions go, uh, it's not even, it's horrible. Anyway, they, they never found the body, okay? But they had a confession. So they go to trial without the body. And Tommy's found guilty of capital murder, rape and capital murder. With nobody. Okay. He goes off to death row in Oklahoma. Six months later, a uh, hunter stumbled across uh, a body in a shallow grave a few miles from Ada in a remote section of um, uh, the county. And um, they do the dental exams, and it's, it's Denise Haraway. And uh, she'd been shot once in the back of the head, and that was the cause of death. Not burnt not stab, not, you know, whatever. Um, and in, in most jurisdictions, in most places in the country, once the body was found and once the people realized it had nothing even remotely familiar with the confession, uh, it's time to call time out and rethink things. But not in Ada. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So, yeah, I mean, when I think about this case, and it's been, you know, several weeks since I watched the show, but I think back on it and I go, how in this country could Tommy Ward and Carl Fontenot be convicted of a stabbing that was actually a shooting, right? I mean, it wasn't even the right crime. And furthermore, in their testimony, they said that they were with another guy, right? And and who we know wasn't there because his alibi was airtight. Right. So everything was wrong with this case. Everything was wrong, yeah. Everything and, was wrong, yeah. And and the tragedy is and it it the the human side of this which of course, you know, affects me and I think anyone who's got uh, empathy for their fellow man or humans, um you know, you see Tommy uh, particularly in the in the show who's been in prison now for about 33 years or 34 years. Yeah. Uh it was a 94 case. And he comes across as just sort of a sort of a big bear of a man, but kind of like a gentle giant, you know, and just sort of a, a very, um, just a very kind. He's got a kind way yeah. about him, you know. He's, um, you know, he, he's a he's a sweet guy. He was a sweet he was a sweet boy. I mean, he grew up in a church, uh, big family, all uh, devout churchgoers. He, he was, you know, twenty years old. He was. A little bit on the wild side for a while, but now after after thirty three years, thirty four years in prison, he's he's earned uh, his GED, he's earned his uh, degree, he's um, he's earned several uh, Bible study awards through the mail. He teaches uh, several Bible study groups. Um, he's sort of like the official chaplain. At uh, this guy has a perfect prison record, and he's never spilled a cup of coffee in prison. Uh, <laughs> and he's he's a wonderful human being who sort of accepted his fate in life that this is just, you know, what's I, I get for some reason I've been dealt this hand and uh, I'll survive it. And, you know, but he's lost his childhood. He's lost the chance to marry, have a family. He worries about his mother who's 90 and uh, obviously failing and he, he would love to see her, but it's a huge tragedy. And the tragedy as we talk about Jason so many times is, you get frustrated at the at the authorities and and the bogus conviction and the you know the cops and all the horrible things they did, 
but the real killer, you know, was still out there, is still out there. We have a few suspects in mind, but uh, these, these people have not been brought to justice. 35 years later, 30, yeah, 34 years later, they, they still have never been brought to justice because the cops blew the case. And that's what happens in, with wrongful convictions. Uh, it's, it's another reason to be so frustrated by them is the real rapist and the real murderers are left free to roam and all, they almost always repeat their crimes. They almost always do. And, and of course, there's another uh, victim in this case. And when I say victim, I mean another innocent man who was convicted, which is Carl Fontenot, who was a guy who was, um, you know, very clearly, um, you know, slow. He was, yeah. he was a guy who had, uh, you know, developmental issues of some sort. I'm not a, a psychologist, uh, but, you know, you can, you can watch that tape and you just, you just you, watching that show, I want to jump through the screen and yeah. stop the process because you're sitting there watching. It kind of reminds me of Making a Murder when they're interviewing Brendan Dassey, right? Because he just doesn't understand what's going on. Right. And he is so easily led like a lamb to the slaughter. Right. And we know that in false confession cases, it's so much. Well, obviously, it's easier to get someone who's of limited mental acuity, uh, but also people who are most likely to to falsely confess are people who are teenagers and ironically, people in the military. And you had that, of course, here with a case that you were deeply involved with with the Norfolk Four, um, because they are used to and this is counterintuitive, but they. Because uh, I think most of us think that a military guy would be able to stand up for himself, but they're used to obeying authority figures and orders, so they yeah, can, they, they respect authority figures and and they they, they kind of want to do something to help the authority figures with their job and and a lot of times you'll see uh, people who are vulnerable um, step way out of line to kind of help the cops out, and that's why a lot a lot of um, interrogations, the police are quick to say, okay, uh, would you agree to a polygraph? Well, innocent people jump at the chance to do a polygraph to prove themselves. Guilty people never do, okay? But innocent guys in interrogation, they go, oh, yeah, I'll take a polygraph, which is fatal, okay? Because what the cops are allowed to do is give the polygraph, a, a true, real polygraph, okay? And usually the, the defendant passes the polygraph, and the cops are allowed to then lie about it. They walk back in the room with the graph paper. They throw it in the guy's face and say, you flunked the polygraph. Now we have proof you're lying. We can use this in court. You're getting the death penalty. And just bam, 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 and it's all a lie. But our Supreme Court said that's okay. Right, and, and America is, I don't think, alone in this, but is an outlier in this in that – uh, police are allowed to lie during the interrogation repeatedly, process. Repeatedly. Yes. Repeatedly. Any, any, any lie they want to tell. Exactly. Any lie they want to tell during interrogation, they can do it with impunity. Right. So when you're sitting there going, well, I would never confess to a crime. Well, then they, they bring in, they go, John, listen, man, we got your fingerprints on the murder weapon. Yeah. We got your DNA on the on the body. We, we just tested. We did a quick test. We did an instant test, whatever they say, right? And your we two got, buddies next door in separate rooms have both said, told us the truth. They've said you pulled the trigger. We know you did it. Okay. These guys are testifying against you. You look at the death penalty and and you're toast, man. But if, you, if you'll if you trust us and go along with it, we know, we know the judge, we know the prosecutors, we 
know, we can, we can help you cut a deal, but to, to save your skin, you better tell us now and we'll, we'll, we'll help you out. Right. There's a, there's a movie that actually, uh, is out, uh, now called false confessions, um, that actually, uh, I'm in it cause they, they taped a, an episode of the podcast, but you're in a movie, um, Jason. Yeah. 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 I you know, that may I be didn't why know you had that kind of, time. that may be why it hasn't become a hit just yet, but it will. But anyway, but no, it's, it's a, it's a really good movie. And in it, you see that what they do is they, they, they sort of close this circle where they finally come to you and go, listen, now we know that we've got all this evidence against you. And we know that the other guy said you did it. So you can either be a perpetrator or a witness. Which one do you want to be? And then once, so that speaks to another thing that I wanted to ask for your take on as someone who's got this vast experience uh, chronicling, writing about, uh, uh, participating in, in so many different aspects of the criminal justice system. Let's say someone's listening now and they or a family member gets picked up for something they didn't do. What's your advice? What should, what, what's the do's and don'ts when you get first picked up? And, 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 bear, and remember, of course, you know, as, as you touched on, um, many people get picked up not realizing that they're a suspect and they're not told they're a suspect. Just come to the police station. We want to ask you a few questions about something. What would you advise? We're, you're assuming it's a serious crime that they are being uh, questioned about. I, I would, well, I'm a lawyer, okay? So I would say, you know, I'll be there with my lawyer. I'll be there with, put, you can put them off. You, 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 okay, I'll, I'll be there tomorrow at whatever time with my lawyer. Okay, is that, that's the way I would start it. Most folks don't think like that because, you know, the, the innocent people don't really worry about it. It's no big deal. They, they want to cooperate with the cops. They want to help the cops solve the crime. So they walk into this and um, oftentimes get burned. But I, I would never uh, – listen, I've had – in the past 20 years, I've had um, two – on two separate occasions, uh, I've had the doorbell rings. I go to the door. It's the FBI agent. And they f- have the badge, FBI. I always kind of laugh. You know, something you see on television, I've done nothing wrong. And both times it was sort of an ancillary issue to a bigger case somewhere that I never got involved in. Uh, and the guy said, uh, both guys said, um, I'd like to ask you some questions. And I said, okay, what's it about? And uh, before they come in the house, okay, tell me, tell me what you're talking about. And so they would give me some, you know, they're kind of pushy. They give me some of the background. And both times I said, uh, okay, I'll be happy to talk to you. Let me call my lawyer. Where's your office? I'll be there tomorrow with my attorney, and we'll have a conversation. And they don't like that, but that's as far as they can go. Because if you, if you were to uh, inadvertently uh, if, tell an FBI agent something is not really true, that's a federal crime, Okay. You can go to prison. Martha Stewart went to jail for that, okay? That happens. Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer. That's happening now. You see it all the time. Now, those, po- those folks are under investigation. Uh, but if an if a, if a, if a FBI agent or a cop stopped me on the street and said, hey, can we ask you a couple of questions? Can I ask you some questions? I would say, what's it about? Whatever crime, whatever situation, whatever inquiry, um, yeah, I'll talk to you. Yeah, tell me when and where, and I'll have my lawyer there. Right. That's something I talk about on the show is that, uh, you know, I advise people. I mean, everybody wants to help in solving a crime. If you're a witness to a crime, I don't want to tell you not to, uh, to you know, I mean, we all, want, we all want safe streets. We all want a safe society. But 
you know, the minute you, there's an inflection point at which, you know, and Marty Tankleff's a great example of this too, right? I mean, it, at some point it became clear that they weren't interviewing him as they said they were about his business partner or anything like that, they, uh, about the father's business partner. His, um, they, were, they were looking at him as a suspect. And at that point, the only words he should have said, and I wish I could go back in time and tell him this, are, I want a lawyer. And that's it. And then the questioning stops. Um, it took way too long for that to happen, and they were able to extract uh, at least some very, some form of a false confession out of him. And the next thing you know, it took 17 and a half years to overturn that conviction. And uh, it's just it's a tragedy. And, you know, we both know Marty and how much we think of him. I mean, what a what a beautiful, amazing, amazing guy. And what a, what a terrible fate to lose both parents and then be blamed for it. When, and, and meanwhile, the still, the, the real perpetrator who it seems abundantly clear who it is remains, remains free and is enjoying his retirement in Florida right now. So, you know, there's that. And it just doesn't, it doesn't add up at all. So I tell, listen, I've raised two kids. Uh, they're adults now, but when they were teenagers, I've, I, you know, I'm a former criminal defense lawyer. And I've always told my kids and my wife, if you get pulled over and the cop says, can I search your car? The answer is no. I don't care what the, 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 I don't care where you are. The answer is no. If they show up at the door, yeah, if you, if you have a search warrant, if they come to your house and knock on the door and want to search, sure, give me a, show me a search warrant. If they want to interrogate you, yeah, I'll be happy to talk, but let me get my lawyer involved. You know, you don't ever trust, have a, have a healthy distrust for people who show up and want to talk or search. That's that's good advice. I mean, and again, if if we can help uh, by virtue of you being on the show, uh, you know, one person avoid this horrible fate that uh, Ron Williamson, Dennis Fritz, uh, Carl Fontenot, and Tommy Ward, all in a small town of. So let's think about that too, right? Because I'm a statistical guy. You have this small little speck of a town, Ada, Oklahoma. You have four wrongful convictions inside the space of two years. Um, well, actually, you had six in the span of five years. And four of the six have been exonerated by DNA. Ron and Dennis and then uh, Perry Lott and Calvin Lee Scott were served 20 and 30 years for rapes they didn't commit. And then that's four. Then Tommy and Carl, that's six. They're still locked up. They have not been exonerated. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to be. But uh, we know they're innocent. And so, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just extrapolating a little six, bit. Six, six and five years. In Ada, Oklahoma. Same, so, same, same police, same cops, same prosecutor, same DA's office, same everything. Six wrongful convictions in five years. Right. And social scientists, the, the studies that have been done, obviously, it's an imper- no one can know for sure. We'll never know for sure. But estimate that a, a, around 5% of the people in prison in America are innocent. So that number is, is pretty close to 100,000 people, innocent people in yeah, prison. Yeah, well, so two, 2 million behind bars. Which is the, lar- the largest incarceration rate in the world, the civilized world. So you have two million in, uh, behind bars, and you know some people say five percent is low. That's still hundred thousand people. Uh, but there, I, I didn't, I was not aware of that until I, I, I wrote the book, and I realized how many innocent people are in prison, and there are a lot of them. So yeah, and I encourage anyone who knows someone who who is innocent uh, in prison to, um, to to get out there and, and make as much noise as you can, bring as much attention, talk about it. Talk, you never know even if you're talking about it in a diner, there might be somebody sitting at the next table. There might be a you know somebody of influence. Talk to a journalist. Talk to write letters. Um, I mean, we have to bring as much attention to these cases as we can. And that's what we're here for. So, um, John, we, we have a tradition on wrongful conviction. 
um, which is at the end of each episode, and this is my favorite part of the episode. I think it's uh, Juan, our producer. I think it's his favorite part of the episode, and it's uh, our audience's favorite part. This is the part where I stop talking. And I thank that's you. That's got to be a good thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you can't insult me when I already insult them. This is the Eminem defense I'm using, right? <laughs> where you put all this stuff out there first. So, um, as he did in the famous rap battle in Eight Mile. But so, first of all, I want to thank you for being here uh, on Wrongful Conviction, and uh, I want to turn the mic over to you for final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um... Well, first of all, selfishly, uh, I encourage you to watch uh, The Innocent Man, the Netflix series, which I had nothing to do with, although I'm the executive producer, which means I did nothing. Uh, Every show now has 14 executive producers, and I still don't know what one does, Uh, but I was involved in it a little bit. But it's it's a, from a storytelling point of view, it's a fantastic story, very well done by somebody else. I wrote the book, you know, years ago, and and got all the attention I needed for that. But the um, Netflix is a series is is compelling and it's informative and it, it lays out so many reasons for wrongful convictions. Well, thank you again for being here. And you've been listening to an extra special episode <laughs> of Wrongful Conviction with the one and only John Grisham. John, thanks again. My pleasure. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.